the Big Bay Network. <laughs> Nothing's going your way. You've had a bad day. It's good to keep it simple. Michelle and Seth say take a deep breath from fade to gray. It's mental. Welcome to an episode of Mental. Um, I am a licensed clinical social worker in the state of Missouri. My name is Seth Showalter, and I am a corporate trainer. I have a master's degree in social work as well as healthcare administration. And prior to my current job, I actually worked for a community-based crisis line called um, Behavioral Health Response, otherwise known as BHR, um, specifically working as a coordinator um, with people who'd had suicidal ideation and helping them obtain um, ongoing mental health support. And during that time, I actually became a mental health first aid instructor and actually taught that class uh, for about a year. And I'm actually going to uh, become ASSIST certified, which is a suicide prevention specific training for professionals. And I'm hoping to do that in August. Through my podcast, my goal is to provide you with information from professionals in the field that have insight um, that might be beneficial to you. But then I also want to interview people who have struggled with mental health issues, myself included, because understanding and hearing from other people experiencing similar things that we are can be very encouraging and help you not feel so alone further it's also a great way to find out what's worked for them and maybe there's something they're doing that could also be helpful for me but for today i have the pleasure of bringing on one of my good friends um her name is michelle michelle is one of my favorite people how are you doing today michelle well, I just got up, so so far is so good. <laughs> yeah, well, that's good. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Oh, gosh. Well, I'm married. I have four grown children. I always hate this question. I always feel very self-conscious about this question. Uh, I have multiple degrees. I have degrees in accounting. Uh, I have a master's in business administration. I'm working on degrees in biblical studies and Christian counseling, as well as a doctorate in psychology. Uh, I own my own business. Um, what business? I don't know. Do There's you not own? that many. F- I have an accounting business. Accounting business. And, so yeah, for small businesses. Um, so very, so very educated. Sounds like a, a mental health bent a little bit. Business and mental health. Yeah. yeah, that's an interesting combination. You well, you would think so, but not really. I mean, so much of what people do in business is dependent upon how they view their business, how they view their the world, and their connection to it. So, well, that's that's a good point. That's true. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about what led you into having an interest in mental health issues. Okay. Well, first of all, it was that business connection. Um, I was really struggling with some of the people I worked with as far as helping them to be successful in their business endeavors, and I, I have a wide range of clients that are you know, uh, different industries, different types of businesses, different uh, corporate makeup, sole proprietor, that kind of stuff. So they came from all different levels. Um, but the one thing that was consistent across the board is the fact that many of them were struggling to be successful on a, on a larger field, if you will. Um, they could get to a certain level, but then they were 
it, it seemed as though they would go backwards or they would stall in place. And it, it fascinated me as much as it frustrated me. And one of the things I started to realize is that many of them had some of their own limiting beliefs about themselves, about their place in the world, about how business was supposed to function, mm-hmm. and that they were actually um, kind of shooting themselves in their own foot, so to speak. They uh, they would they would get on a good bent towards success, and then suddenly the bottom would fall out all over again, and it became very cyclical. Um, and I really wanted to understand it better, so I really felt like a little bit of study into the into the psychology of of what they were experiencing was be helpful. And and then I just got fascinated with the subject matter in totality and decided this is something I really want to work towards. Mm-hmm. So, and for other areas of life too. So, yeah. Well, was there anything personally that led you down that path? Oh yeah. I mean, I, there's so many things. I mean, we all have so many, you know, foibles as we grow, uh, grow up. And um, one of the things that I, I used to make jokes about, I no longer do, although my family loves to remind me, is that I used to say um, everybody that I knew had, that had a degree in psychology was like crazy as hell. <laughs> and, well, and so, you're, not, you're not wrong. Um, most well, <laughs> people who go into the mental health field also struggle with mental health themselves. It's partially yes, exactly. what, what brought them into the field. So it makes sense. Right. Yeah, and so I better understand that now. So I don't say that anymore. But as I said, my family likes to, you know, remind me, remember when you said and, but it it is true. And so like I said, we all have our own foibles. Um, Mine, of course, I was brought up in a very uh, conservative religious background. And as I got older, a lot of that um, came to question. But also because there was a lot of mm, abusive situations in my family growing up. So my own levels of self-confidence and self-image have always been incredibly damaged. And so, yeah, I had a lot of things that I wanted to understand better about me as well. Has religion played a role in any of that? <laughs> I, I'm just saying this, you know, yeah. mental mental is part of the Fade to Gray network. Right. And right. Uh, here at Mental, religion plays a pretty big role in a lot of what we talk about, right. and a lot of what we do. And for myself, my story is specifically tied to religion in, in the course that it's gone. So break that down for us. Well, as I said, I was raised in a pretty conservative religious tradition. Mm -hmm. Um, However, I will say that while the viewpoints of Christianity were religious, much of the expression of it, however, was somewhat liberal in, in our surroundings. I grew up in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they, uh, you know, the churches that I went to, they believed in dancing in the spirit. They, they believed in raising your hands and speaking in tongues and Hallelujah. all that. So you already felt like you were a little on the edge. Exactly. Hallelujah. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't a, a service unless your hands were in the air. <laughs> yeah. Do a little dance. Uh, actually, some of my favorite memories, my aunt and uncle's church was way beyond what my grandparents would accept. Uh, they would go every now and then, but they did not appreciate it. It was a hippie church, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, first church I had ever gone to that had drums and electric guitars, which I loved. Yeah. Um, and I had a great time there, but it was a little too much for my very conservative grandparents. So they, they could go for hands in the air and things like that, but no electric guitars, but, uh, but yeah, just really conservative viewpoints, you know, and you grow up, um, with this idea of a very angry and wrathful God. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, you're being told God is love. Right. And then if you're in my situation, which my situation involved a lot of, um, abusive situations within our household, you know, uh, mental, physical, emotional, sexual, those things were all prevalent. And so, and then those people would say they loved you. So you, I had a very warped view 
um, what love was supposed to look like. So when God would tell somebody would tell me God is love, I was like, it doesn't make sense. And especially if God was presented as angry all the time, mm-hmm. which he often and, is, and he was, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and so, and I've said this often. I grew up believing that God really didn't like me. The only reason he had anything to do with me is because he had to, because I said some magic words about Jesus. And so God had to go, okay, I guess I have to deal with right. that. What was love? Like, what, how did you interpret love growing up? Love always involved an idea of some form of violence or abuse. Hmm. Yeah, my grandmother was incredibly big on telling me that she had to discipline me and discipline for her involved corporal punishment. Right. Um, and corporal punishment, there was a point where I would have just taken the corporal punishment, but along with it always went several hours of explanation. And by the time you're 10 and 11 years old, you don't care anymore. You're like, just hit me and let's get it over with, you know? Right. But she would literally say, I have to do this because I love you. That was her idea of love. And she had her own history and reasons that I understand better now as an adult. But then it was, it was just, what is wrong with this woman? <laughs> and so that probably communicated especially when you started to hear about God, specifically that God is love, that God cares for you, that God is there for you. When you heard those words, that didn't mean the same thing. No, it meant that, that of course, excuse me, that God chastens those whom he loves. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and hell was always a specter that overrode everything. Um, I was also very, very fascinated and terribly frightened of rapture theology. I was told constantly, Jesus is coming any day, the world is going to be a shitty place, and then we're all out of here. But I never believed I was going to be out of here. For whatever reason, I always believed I was going to be left behind. And I like had contingency plans, like, what would I do like when my family is gone? So I didn't truly believe that, that God was going to have my back in the end. Even though, you know, you talk a good game, you, you try to you try to live out the tenets of the religion, you know, you try to pray enough, you try to read enough, you try to you know, beg God for forgiveness enough. And and unfortunately, and even somewhat embarrassingly, those traits follow you into adulthood. Yeah. And you find yourself still living in that pattern of sin and repentance. Mm-hmm. And it's a damaging place to be, in my opinion, looking back at it now. Mm-hmm. Have, so. have you deconstructed any of that? Hmm. Quite a bit of it, actually. It's... You know, the whole subject of deconstruction, of course, that's a coined term that became popular. It has a different meaning, yeah. but it, it, it's so subjective and individual. Mm-hmm. So there, there's no timeline. There's no task list. There's no linear progression through something like that. You're, you're thrown into a million questions that produce more questions. You lose all sense of certainty. Um, and, and so, yeah, I've dealt with some of it, but I've not yet found a landing place. Every given day, maybe a different, a different expression of what I think at that moment. Mm-hmm. So it, it's interesting. It, that that much is interesting to me psychologically as well, because I feel like it is something so many people are experiencing in some form or fashion, um, a different level maybe. But they're questioning. They're trying to understand. And what's really damaging about doing so, and I'm sure you can relate to this as well, is that you're often labeled. Uh, demonized for doing so, mm-hmm. you're apostate, you're a backslider, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever names we want to give it, but you are suddenly the other. Right. And I think we spend a lot of time doing that, othering people. So. Well, and I think we also other ourselves. 
Oh, we you do. Know, I, Cause with that comes a lot of internalized guilt, a lot of internalized shame, mm-hmm. um, which kind of perpetuates mm-hmm. that. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And it deeply damages mm-hmm. us. Um, and you know, but yet we go on and we try to live a normal life because most people are not going to go to the level of, you know, sociopathic behavior or anything like right. that, but you're going to, you're going to continue on in life, but you're going to do so from this very muted standpoint. Mm-hmm. And that's a very sad thing. Nobody should be muted. I, I completely agree. You know, you mentioned kind of that cycle, the going back and forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, that's something that I have found in my deconstruction process. And I also find with my mental health, <laughs> uh, there are times where I'm doing really, really well. And then there are times I'm not. Um, and it's kind of this back and forth, back and forth. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about what that back and forth has looked like for you um, as, you know, as you started to pursue um, additional degrees and you've, I know you've written, you've, you've written a book. Um, what's, what's that look like for you? Um, well, the, of course, the contention in my book um, is that the, the process of deconstruction is similar to that of a grieving process or a grieving yes. cycle. And most people that have any, any understanding of grief, of a grief cycle understand that, that there's no rhyme or reason to it. Uh, again, it's not something on a linear progression. It's not something that is easily identifiable. It's raw, it's emotional, and it's kind of all over the place. And depending upon how you wandered into, I shouldn't say wandered into in that expression, but depending upon the way that you're thrust into that grieving process um, is going to greatly affect how you grieve. And so deconstruction is the same way. I mean, some people wake up and they start questioning things and it's very easy. It's very loving. They find out God is not the asshole. They always thought he was taught he was that he was going to be. But suddenly he's light and he's love and he's everything positive. And so they can merrily go on their way. And so their deconstruction, they're going to grieve through it. They're going to grieve maybe some of the time they've lost or they're going to struggle through some of the things that they believed. But for the most part, they're not going to be mired in that depressive, angry phase like you find in grief. Mm-hmm. Those that are thrust more violently into the process, so to speak, are going to be people that really struggle. And I was one of those people. So for me, the back and forth on any given day included periods of PTSD, behavior, um, anxiety, overload of anxiety, um, a lot of depression, uh, f- triggered anger out of nowhere. Yeah, let's, but let's, let's um, talk. I want to break each of those down. When, when, we, when you say okay. PTSD... What are you experiencing? Well, as I mentioned, for me, I was always terrified of hell. Mm-hmm. Um, I was positive I was going to go there. Uh, so I was super concerned about my health all the time. I was super concerned about uh, my my well-being in general um, because I didn't want to die right. because I thought, well, at least let's drag this out as long as possible. And um, so when I began deconstructing that, when I first was confronted with the different ideas of hell, I, because I didn't know there were other mm-hmm. ones, I I decided I was carefree. I was happy for a couple of weeks. It was like somebody had lifted a very large weight off of me and I felt like I could relax a little bit. But then out of nowhere, what I found happening is there would be a comment or I would read something you know, any number of things or my own thought process would go down a a certain way. And suddenly I was back to the idea of, Oh my God, I was, if I was wrong before, what if I'm still wrong Mm -hmm. and I'm actually going to go to hell and and I would have a panic attack. Mm -hmm. And I likened that to PTSD because all it would take would be a triggered word or 
you know, comment. And, and I was right there again. And that fear was so overwhelming um, that many a time I had to, I, I felt like I couldn't breathe. I had an, a huge anxiety attack. I had to leave the house and just walk and be left totally alone and work on my breathing because I couldn't, I couldn't function for a while. Mm-hmm. And those, I mean, those lessened over time. Um, I still have them every now and then yeah. one will show up out of nowhere. <laughs> Uh, I find that kind of funny now in, in, in a very ironic way, but panic attacks and I mean, that can happen and they do. Oh, for sure. They, they do come in waves um, to where you'll have them frequently mm-hmm. and then you may not have them at all. Um, what I've found as a professional in the field is that anxiety, a lot of times, specifically panic attacks come down to mm-hmm. our own thought process. Oh, for and, sure. Yeah. And that's something that Christianity or religion in general really tackles mm-hmm. head on. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I always like the feelings of guilt and shame or I'm not good enough or um, right. I sinned and I need to repent. You know, this constant cycle mm-hmm. um, that mm-hmm. just feeds it so much. And anxiety, yeah, very much so. anxiety can be on that that extreme end with the panic attacks, but then it also can just be mm-hmm. like generalized anxiety. Have you experienced anything like that? Oh yeah, I live with generalized yeah. anxiety. <laughs> I do too, so you're not alone there. <laughs> yeah, that that's an interesting little uh an interesting way to live. And I know quite a few people that actually identify there. So yeah, that some days it's just that overall feeling of uh, somebody's got their hand around my throat and I don't know why. Uh-huh. I, I can't pinpoint anything. And and I've gotten pretty good at trying to sit down and reason it out, like, okay, when did this feeling start? What was happening, what was said, and let's try to identify what maybe triggered that emotion. And sometimes I can find it and sometimes I can't. So sometimes you just have to roll with what you're given in the moment. Um, and that's all you can do. So it's specific anxiety though. Yes. Uh, if I get involved in a conversation with regard to hell or, you know, eschatology or anything like that. Yeah. Some of that can actually come back. And, and it'll trigger something like that again, very specifically. One of our guests that's listening to the live feed wants mm-hmm. to know, do the benefits of religion outweigh the damages to one's mental health? I don't believe so anymore, for sure. Uh, I, I feel as though, and I've said this often, and it's usually in a fit of rage, but I, I do believe that religion is is one of the most destructive forces on the planet. Mm-hmm. Over and over, it's, it's proven itself in that vein. Right. Often many wars are built around an idea or concept of religion. Um, much of how we treat one another is based on some kind of personal belief system. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do a lot of damage not only to ourselves, but to other people in the name of God. Right. And, and I don't believe that, that, that there's a benefit that outweighs somebody else's health or well-being or even my own. So it's... So how do we make that work then? <laughs> because, I mean... We were talking about the way that religion and and conservative faith can impact one's mental health. Um, And we we didn't go through all of your symptoms, but I know the last one was fits of rage um, or getting angry, (laughs) kind of, you know, having emotional responses. Rage. That sounds so much better. It sounds like a band name or something. (laughs) It's not a bad, it's not a bad band name. It's not. That's pretty good, actually. (laughs) Uh, Well, but I, you know, I experienced that myself. I think any of the fade to gray team can testify to that. Um, I am very much emotionally triggered and can be emotionally triggered and, and will respond right. um, in ways that are, uh, you know, not proportionate to the situation. Yeah. 
We all do that. <laughs> but we're talking about this being caused by our conservative faith. And while, while I think that religion can definitely have a negative uh, impact on one's mental health, mm -hmm. is there a way around that? I mean, do we really need to throw away God in order to be men mentally mm -hmm. healthy? I think that's a very difficult question to ask because I think you're asking for a generalized answer and each of us are very specific and individual. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's actually one of my pet peeves is, is somebody else trying to tell me that their process is the process and that's how you get through this. Um, Wait. So my very quick answer to that is... <laughs> I like step-by-step -step guides, but keep going. I, I, I do too. I'm a very structured, organized, taskless person. But in this case, that is not healthy. Mm -hmm. And, and the reason being is if I give you a task list of what's worked for me and you try to do my task list and it doesn't work for you, are you going to assume my task list is bad or that there's something broken and wrong with you? Well, more than likely, you're going to believe it's something to do with you that's not right, right. because that's our default. And so that's damaging. Yeah. Well, we've heard that all throughout right like we need to well, jesus every sermon we every week to, is seven ways to you know this and 10 ways to love god better. i mean give me a break and, right we need to pray hard enough or you know we're sick right. and god didn't heal us well you didn't pray hard enough faith, baby. or that's right you didn't have enough, didn't faith. Have enough faith or are you hiding something <laughs> is there a sin that you have oh yeah hidden sin is there a sin you haven't confessed isn't that a isn't that a very obvious way to differentiate yourself from somebody and feel superior, you know, superior in your position? Yeah. Yes, uh, slightly. Obviously, I don't have that problem. So apparently, I'm okay with God, but you obviously have issues going right. on. That's how that comes out. I think that Jesus did talk about that, though. I think it was uh, take the log out of your own eye before you take the exactly. speck out of your neighbor's. Nobody does that. Oh. That's just words out of it. The, the red letters apply only when I'm right, not when I'm wrong. <laughs> Unfortunately, I've learned a lot of that from the church. Yes, everyone has. <laughs> but I, I think... Try and tell them that. <laughs> yeah, well, then we need, we need to repent and think about our decisions. <laughs> How dare us. But I, I really like the what you brought up, though, in that there isn't necessarily a go-to guide on this is how right. you work through your mental health in relationship to God. That it really right. is, it really is individualized and different, and we kind of have to all find our own path. Right. And so, so to your question, is there is there anything valuable about valuable about this that gets us back to God? What if you're one of the people that actually a relationship with God right now is damaging for you because of your background? Why would you need to continue down a process back towards something that has been so very hurtful? I mean, there may come a time when you're ready for that, but it's certainly not always in the in the immediate moment. Okay, I'm going to play devil's advocate. It's fine. My whole life is filled with devil's advocates. <laughs> what about heaven? Tough subject. I was taught... And I, I'm going to say something that I know is theologically incorrect, but I'm going to say it because I was taught. This. <laughs> I was taught to believe that, mm -hmm. you know, Christianity is my ticket to heaven. Um, right? right. That sinner's prayer, right. that walking down the aisle, that well, that was not mm -hmm. like marriage, but, you know, walking down the aisle to baptism, right. that whole process um, has been taught that this is what you need in order to go to heaven when you die. So, right. I mean, 
okay, yes, God, my relationship with God is damaging. It's hurting my mental health. But if I throw that out, mm-hmm. what, I mean, I what if, I mean, what if you, what if you think of God differently? Hmm. Like if, if that's actually a concern for you, then maybe it's just that you need to consider. And I hate to say this because I take flack for this. Maybe you need to consider a better version of God. Hmm. I mean, you know, and I'm going to get, I get called names for that, but it, it, no one should call you. I mean, there's people in my own family that say I'm trying to make God in my own image. Um, and my response to that always is he better be a hell of a lot better than me or screw it. I don't need that. Mm -hmm. And quite honestly, the God that I've been presented with the majority of my life is no better than my three-year-old when they were three years old, stomping their foot and demanding their way in hopes of getting some cookie or something. You know, there's this, my idea. So it, one of the things that I'll say about the idea of heaven or hell even is that it has created this desire in people to live for some future event at the expense of the here and the now. And I find that to be disappointing and sad. And that was one of the things that I had to come to terms with. I had spent my whole life trying to structure my behavior and my desires and the things that I wanted to do in this life so as to be in line for this reward sometime later in life that I really can't know for sure is there. But right the here and the now, I actually can grab hold of. And so I was not allowing myself to live life. I wasn't allowing myself to experience things that I wanted to experience because I was so concerned about this future possible event. Mm -hmm. And so, and I will say this though, one of the things that happens, if you're going to deconstruct the idea of hell, Heaven's going to go right with it. It's, there's no way around it. You can't, you can't look at one and decide whether it's real or not without examining the other. And, and so maybe it begins to change your viewpoint on those things. Maybe heaven, uh, it's funny. I was talking with a friend about this the other day. We both were raised with the idea that heaven is the streets of gold, the angels playing harps. We're with God forever and we get to worship God forever. And I have to tell you, I was a worship leader and I love to sing the thought of having to do that forever was somewhat boring to me. And I thought, Jesus, this, that's what it's going to be. And my, my condition to that was, well, if I have to do that, I hope at least I get to stand near the drums in the bass in heaven because I need to feel the music at the very least, you know? So maybe we reexamine all of that. I mean, I think that reexamination is good. I think that evaluating mm-hmm. and re reevaluating our view of God is good. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to step down from the mental health professional for a second and talk to you (laughs) as a friend. So for me, growing up in a conservative family and growing up in the Southern Baptist movement, and it's interesting because after our uh, Fade Gray's interview with Rick Allen Ross yesterday and kind of talking about cult life, this kind of applies here, but there was like membership to the club. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I was part of... I was part of a church. I was part of a community. My family was a part of it. My family helped run it. It it was something, there was security and a sense of feeling like I'm right. And I am in, I am in an okay place that provided a sense of, and I keep saying security. I never know how to describe this, but how, if we're going to start reevaluating how we view God, that is going to put us at odds to that bigger community that we potentially were a part of or wanted to be a part of. So how do you handle that? How do you, how does one reevaluate their opinion of God while also feeling safe and secure and okay within a community? Well, my first question would be, 
are you positive you feel safe and secure? Mm. Or do you just fit in? Are you a chameleon to fit in so that you feel safe and secure? That would be my first That's question. A good question. And everybody has to answer that for themselves. Uh -huh. And a lot of times we won't even answer it honestly because we don't want to give up that feeling of safety and security, which is, by the way, a basic human need. Mm -hmm. And so is so is that belonging or that sense of community. For many of us, um, depending upon our personality types, we we want that connection. We we need that connection. And and everybody does on some level, but we're all different. I'm very introverted, so sitting at home by myself is totally okay with mm -hmm. me. Um, while other people are, are lose their mind, I have to go find some people to engage with. So that'll play a part in it. But yeah, I lost my entire community for a while. I wasn't sure how my family was going to hold up. And actually, some of my extended family do not agree with me. So it's it, it can be very isolating. It can be very lonely. As I said, I was removed from my community. Uh, so... For me, I didn't, I didn't have safety and security, obviously. Mm -hmm. So, and I, but that was part of my deconstruction is I had to come to terms with that. That's right. where a lot of the anger came from. So, because people that should act and know better didn't. And it's so funny. I just told my son this last night. He, he was teasing me and he's like, mom, why do you, why do you always think that about people? You're always disappointed. And I said, well, the real, the thing is I'm an idealist. I truly do believe the best about people and think that they're capable. And so when they fail miserably, it disappoints the hell mm -hmm. out of me. You know, um, but I'm still going to come right back and believe in the best in them. Well, that's not true for everybody. It, it, for some people, it's okay to write people off and, and not care. So I didn't have that safety and security that you're saying. So it, yeah, it, it's hard to answer that question. I just because it's so subjective. Yeah. And that's a great point. It is very subjective. Well, all of this <laughs> is. So it's. <laughs> but I just say like th that's been my biggest fear. Like there have been people on the Fade to Gray podcast that have encouraged me to drop my faith, saying the exact thing that mm -hmm. Chris asked, uh, which is why he mm -hmm. asked it. Do the benefits of religion outweigh the damages to mental mm -hmm. health? Because he feels like it's more damaging. But I don't know mm -hmm. if I would ever fully step out because of that sense of security. Granted, most of those people still think I'm going to hell, but it's the idea that... <laughs> I could be saved, right? <laughs> Anyhow, I'm trying to. Well, so it's not it's not so much the people, then it's the idea of God that you're still seeking, yes. and that's okay. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. That's what I, you know, I for the longest time I had a bad rap. People used to say you don't you don't want other people to believe in God, or you don't want other people to go to church. That's not true. I don't care what other people do. I want them to be honest, right? And I want them to allow me to be honest. Mm -hmm. And, and to be, but here's, here's what it comes down to. And you know, this being in the, in the mental health field, we want people to believe or think the way we do, because then it validates us. It makes us feel like we're okay. So when somebody steps outside of a paradigm, like a religious, you know, construct, and they question God, if they make a good point, suddenly now everything I think or believe may be at, at risk. And so I have to, I have to deal in some cognitive dissonance there and push back. I have to for my own mental health. Mm -hmm. I have to. Mm -hmm. um, it's only when we can step, step outside of those constructs and say, I can allow this person to have their process and it doesn't have to have any bearing on mine. I can observe rather than be emotionally involved. But most people are emotionally involved in their ideas and they need them to be true. Um, that's one of the things that I had to come to terms with is that idea of certainty. Because um, I'm a control freak. So I like certainty. Um, and suddenly I was 
surrounded with so much uncertainty, I could, I felt like I was drowning in it. Yeah. And so, of course, in my tradition, and I don't know, maybe for you, if this is true as well, I would surmise that it is, certainty is synonymous with faith. And so suddenly when you're not certain anymore, you must have lost your faith. But that's not true. Faith is mystery. Faith is the unknown. Faith is sitting in a dark room knowing there's a light somewhere. It has nothing to do with being right. And, and we have, we have, at the risk of sounding crass, we have bastardized that definition. Just like we've bastardized the definitions of love. Yeah. And now we hold people to those terms that are, that are wrong and erroneous and maybe even damaging. For sure. So, so what does reconstruction look like? Oh, I mean, like, <laughs> let's break it down. All right. We're talking about all of, all of this, but, how, and I asked this earlier, but how do we, I mean, you talked about reevaluating. I think that's great. Mm-hmm. I think we need to relook at what are we believing and how is that impacting us? We need to mm-hmm. really look at our relationship with God and who is God really? You know, the stuff that we've been taught um, really true. Like, am I really going to hell mm-hmm. because I right. was born gay? I don't, I don't know. And was I really born gay? See, Christians get a whole <laughs> gift. It gets cut. That's your head all messed like, up. Before I know it, I'm going to be <laughs> questioning the, the meaning of life. But Well, we should, I think. So go right yeah. ahead. <laughs> Fair point. What does re- reconstruction look like? We talked about this a little bit earlier this week, uh, you and I did. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was me ranting at well, you, so. <laughs> that's good for our mental health. That's why. That's, yeah, it that's is. Why we have, <laughs> that's why we have our support systems. Uh, it is, yeah. So. Well, you know, so I think, so here's the deal. For a long time, people were going through this process and there was no name for right. it. And suddenly the word deconstruction was the, was the common term that became applied yeah. to it. So it became a very big buzzword. There are a, a thousand different books written on the subject of deconstruction from lots of different angles. Mm-hmm. I really do believe that now reconstruction is the new buzzword. Um, it's, it's the next thing, which presupposes that again, there is a process that is a one fit process for all of this, because what if you don't need to reconstruct? And that was a question that I confronted myself with earlier this morning. Um, it's just a thought that went through my head. What if how I've deconstructed leaves me right where I need to be for myself? What if there's not a box I need to build again? Well, how do you know? Well, you know, because it's you, you get to make that decision. You can't compare your process to mine. That's unfair to you. It's also unfair to me. That's good. So, That's but good. to answer your question, <laughs> reconstruction is, is like supposedly the next step. And that's the stuff you're starting to see being talked about and written now. There was one very prominent pastor in the Midwest, not far from you, I think, that actually commented that reconstruction was like the whole, um, redoing a priceless piece of art, you know, that you couldn't just strip away the ugly that you then had to restore the painting. Well, I get his point. I truly do. But what it assumes is that at some point in deconstruction, at some knowable point in deconstruction, you go, oh, I'm at the end of deconstruction. Now it's time to reconstruct. Mm -hmm. I just don't jive with that. I feel like all of it goes together and the levels of deconstruction will be different for each person as well as the levels of reconstruction. Omar, <laughs> Omar is here with us. Omar, hey Michelle, Omar. what's going on? Thanks for being here. Hey Seth, you're killing it, man. You guys are doing great. This is this is a really <laughs> much needed conversation to be had, yeah. and um, you, you guys are doing great. Uh, 
some interaction from people on Facebook. Uh, first of all, Jesse uh, Borden up in Alaska. Uh, dude, long time, man. I'm glad you're checking us out. I'm glad you're getting some good <laughs> stuff from this. Um, he said, you know, th- this, is a, this is a good conversation that needs to be had. Uh, forgive me. Uh, I'm horrible with names. If you ever, like, watch movies that mold me, wait until I try to say, like, famous actors' names. I butcher it every time. So, but Ania Marlena, so A-N-I-A, uh, she's a Me Without You fan. She's talking about one of the lyrics, you know, is God is love and love is real. Um, just be love and and you'll feel safe. Uh-huh. Hmm. So I thought that was good. Well, that's good. I, I will say this though: you're you're going to have to deconstruct what mm-hmm. love is. Okay, then. that's fair. Because yeah. that's a different thing for every person it's as well. Right. <laughs> See how nasty she, this she, all gets. She also <laughs> uh, said that you know we need to live for now. Um, some guy named yes. Omar Williams looks like he's just trolling. Says gay, gays don't go to heaven, Seth. I don't know if you well, guys want to. I'm, oh, I'm aware. See, that's part of that's part of the reconstruction process. Is I get to start reevaluating what I think God is actually speaking to me and to the world. Exactly. And for so long, a lot of people. Um, have just based their belief on God by what they've been told. They've not actually done right. the search themselves. They've not actually asked the questions um, and got dug deep. And I think that's what makes the difference. And Michelle, I really liked how you mentioned love could potentially need to be deconstructed as well because, as you mentioned, the way that you were raised mm-hmm. is very different. The, the word love is very different right. than what God is supposedly offering. Right. Well, and that same construct goes along with saying, well, to people that say, well, we just need to live like Jesus because I went there for a while. Mm -hmm. So I just need to live like Jesus. Mm -hmm. Well, we have to evaluate that, too, because what is my version or view of Jesus? How have I been taught about him? You know, from a a second temple, a second temple perspective, or is it the Southern Baptist perspective? I mean, whose Jesus are we talking Mm -hmm. about? Because. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people that believe Jesus was violent and cleared the temple and was coming back to kick somebody's ass in the end. And other people are like, that, are not, that is not an accurate view of Jesus. Uh, he turned the tables. Well, he, he was the lion yeah. and the lamb, right? Hey, yeah. hey Chad, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> to let you guys finish your conversation. I may uh, yeah. bounce back in if there's any more questions. But so Thanks, Omar. So I want to come back, Michelle, because we, were, we mm-hmm. were at a spot. Um, we were talking about this reconstruction and having to evaluate whether we really do need to reconstruct. And right. I think that that's a really good point. I think that my answer to that is yes. <laughs> well, I do too in a general form, in a general sense. I do too. Um, you know, I was talking with somebody the other day, and I, I don't remember if it was you or not, but um, Richard Rohr actually talks about the second half of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and his his comment or his point is, is that you spend the first half of your life building this box. And along the way, you're putting ideas or beliefs in that box. The second half of your life, whenever that is, and he doesn't designate an age. He's he, It's more of an, a, a mind construct, more of a, you know, a, a, maturing, pro, a ah, maturing mm-hmm. process. He said the second half is when you start evaluating the, evaluating the things that you've put in that box and decide if they're still valuable or not. So what do you want in the box? So deconstruction is that. Let's take each thing out. Let's evaluate it. Let's find its value. Reconstruction is saying, well, I still believe this. I still feel that this is valuable, so I'm going to leave it in my box. That's reconstruction. It doesn't mean that it's a brand new paradigm that you're coming up with. It right. may be much of the same paradigm. Right. 
It just means that you're evaluating and deciding what's still valuable. But again, that's going to look different for each person. And I, I get tired of hearing myself say that, but it's true. <laughs> Everybody needs to get to be who they right. are. And the whole thing about it is, is that everyone has different experiences. Yes. Like everyone yeah. has, I, my brother and I, we grew up in the same mm-hmm. household, experienced a lot of the same stuff. Granted, we're both gay, but we have very different views of God uh, right. because right. our interaction with God is individualized. Exactly. Right? Well, you, you so you share a few things, and this is one of the things that I always point out is, look, we each come from a different familial history, mm-hmm. um, religious background, religious tone. Um, and, and so you share a lot of that with your brother. But the reality is, even though you're brothers and you share a lot of that family history and maybe religious history, you still are each in possession of your own personalities. Yeah. And while they may have similarities, they are still different enough that you will see things from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. But I, I don't know. I feel like that we we have become very much a society that likes everybody plugged into their little box, that we can label them and say, well, here's your label. Here's how you fit into the reality of it. Now I understand you and I can move on, which is very dehumanizing, actually. Um, and I feel like that's what much of this process has been, is trying to decide how humanized I am, mm. as opposed to what other people may have defined me as. Yeah. And what I may have accepted from other people as my definition rather than finding my own expression of who I am. Yeah, preach. I mean, Michelle, I don't <laughs> think uh, – I'm just going to let you talk from here on. Um, <laughs> I think I'm going to bow out. Uh, that <laughs> Don't do that. You know I rant. Uh, well, so. <laughs> uh, the rants are good um, that we need to be hearing. Uh, that was good. Yeah, I, I think that we spend too much time – Deciding what everybody else should look like, and we don't spend nearly enough time deciding what we should look mm. like. And, and I saw, um, I saw a term the other day, and I literally had, I v- vaguely had heard it before. And yesterday, I went and did some research because I have another idea for something I want to write on. And I heard this term, and I thought, is this a real thing? I hadn't come across any of it in my study, and I went to look at it. And, oh my god, it is! I literally broke down in tears last night. Um, oh, what is uh, imposter syndrome? Yeah. Have you have you read I on actually, it? Holy I actually, crap! Hold up. I think I bought like three books on it yesterday on Audible and in paper I books. I bought <laughs> two books on it uh, last month, um, and they're in my office at work. How amazing is that? And I so, I so here's this little online test: Are you a victim of imposter syndrome? I'm like, well, let's find out. <laughs> And I did the little test and it came back 100%. And I was like, holy yeah, the, shit, this, this stuff had never occurred to me. The answer is yes. I, I, think that, yeah. I don't think that it is possible to not have some form of imposter syndrome. I, yes. I, don't, I, would agree. I don't think it's possible. So break it down. Uh, on my it. Very, yeah. All right. So on my very surface level understanding of it, basically it's a feeling of being a fraud in comparison to those around mm-hmm. you. So, And I feel this all the time. So like I wrote this book. I've got multiple degrees in different formats. So I'm, I'm very, very educated. And even saying that makes me feel like I'm going to choke. I wrote a book on something and I was terrified to turn it into a publisher, even though they were waiting for it, terrified. And you know why? Because I was convinced that anybody else that had any kind of expertise in this area was going to read it and go, what a fraud. Mm. She doesn't know anything. And so here's all of this preparation educationally that I've done for my business, for my, you know, my understandings of psychology, all of these things. I've done the work. Yeah. 
and am doing yeah. the work. And yet I still feel like somebody's going to say, you're a fraud. You don't know what you're talking mm -hmm. about. Um, and, and so it, I allow it to distract me from what I want to do. Right. So it, because I'm so busy worrying about what other people think of me that I'm not thinking of who I am. And at the root of that, is that a fear of, what is that a fear of? A fear of rejection? A fear of not being good enough? Oh, for sure. A fear that they don't yeah. think that you're important? Fear of not measuring? Like, yep. what, what? what's the fear? That's all of it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All of those things. But again, you're talking to somebody that has a lot of very big self-image image foibles. As I mentioned briefly, I come from a background where there's abuse and some of that was mm -hmm. sexual. That destroys your self-image. Yes, and it takes a long time to get past that. And then religion piles onto that with the purity culture ideas mm -hmm. and your damaged goods. And so I believed I was damaged goods because why would God want anything to do with me? I wasn't pure and I'm using air quotes around that. But, it, you know, so you, you grow up and you believe you're not worth very much anyway. And, and so those kind of things get said to you, like very hurtful things along the way. Like I have, and I'm sure you do too, specific instances of things said to me from when I was a kid into my early adulthood that have stayed with me. Um, I opened up to somebody one time in the church and said, I, I'm really struggling with this. And I remember her standing there and her eyes got very large. And finally she stopped and she looked at me and she said, I can't help you. You're too much. What? I was devastated. Go back, go, I still can go, viscerally feel go, that. Go back, <laughs> back, rewind. Say that again. She told me I was too much. She couldn't help me. You're too much. The, the, and I honestly wasn't looking for her help. I was just looking for somebody that, you know, I was just sharing a part of my experience or who I was. Right. So you, you very quickly learn, like, that's not acceptable, so I won't share that part of myself. That's not acceptable, so I don't share that part of myself. Mm. So, and I've said this for years and years and years. You become a chameleon or an actor, if you yeah. will. And every experience that you have, you are acting from a place of what does this character need to look like? It's character development. Mm -hmm. And you play your role in that circumstance and then you move on and you adapt to the next role and you create new character development. Nowhere in that do you ever get to be who you really are to say what you really think, what you really like, what you want to do, what your interests are. You are simply pigeonholed into what everybody else thinks you should be. And honestly, um, when you start to break out of that is when you start to hear things like that. Well, you're just too much. And that was a question I asked on Facebook yesterday. Mm -hmm. So you finished the sentence for me, Seth. I hate it when I am called, when, when people say I am too. For me, to answer that question, yes. uh, there's yes. a lot of them. Of course there are. I am too dramatic mm -hmm. emotional mm -hmm. serious oh that's a big one that's a trouble <laughs> both within my family and fade to gray um oh yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah that kind of goes with me everywhere i go um i'm always too serious um yeah there's definitely it's interesting how we immediately go there yes like our like it's those like pathways have been formed. And so we immediately jump there and that's. So here's my question. I'm yeah. going to pick one of them that you said. Yeah. You're too dramatic. Mm -hmm. So how does that affect your behavior then? When somebody has told you you're too dramatic, how does that affect your behavior? It makes me want to shut down. Right. Um, you begin to conform to what their idea of correct. you should look like, right? Correct. Right. So I start 
acting in situations, mm -hmm. not based upon how I actually feel, right. but what I think that person will, how, what they will like or what they right. will be interesting. And you swallow your emotion mm -hmm. yes. because that is the most, that is the safest avenue for you. Correct. Right. And, and so that's what we all do. We all have a, a two something. Mm -hmm. Every one of us has a two something. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'll tell you now, and I was this way when I was a kid, I don't like being told I'm too loud. It pisses me. You want to, and I don't like the word trigger, but that pisses me off in nothing flat. Yeah. And I was told that the whole time I was growing up, I was also told I'm too dramatic, too emotional, too much, all of these things. And so you, you become this very shadow version of yourself mm -hmm. that comports to what everybody thinks you should be. It's only when you get older and you go, I mean, I don't know if I'm allowed to be profane here or not, but uh, yes, yes, <laughs> okay. you um, yes, you, you reach a certain point in life. And I think this is when people start to identify things like midlife crisis and for some, but that's when you go, fuck this, man. I, mm -hmm. I am a dramatic person. You know what? I am a dramatic person. I'm totally good with being a dramatic person. Am I emotional? Fuck yes, I'm emotional. And do you know why? Because people need to connect emotionally and yes. I'm able to do that. And just because yes. you can't doesn't mean it's wrong. It means you're broken, not me. So, so, so do you see when you start to break out of your cage and you yeah. start to say, hold on, all the things that I'm too much of are yeah. all the things that I'm comfortable being and right. I should be because and the, they're valuable. And they're the things that truthfully make you unique. It's what Absolutely. sets you apart. Right. Yeah. The fact, and here's the deal. I know I didn't say this earlier. I'm very much, uh, I believe in this. I'm very much an empath. Mm -hmm. Um, I connect, I, too. I connect incredibly well and very quickly with everybody on an emotional level. Mm -hmm. And I can know, I read the energy in a room. I know what's happening in the room before I even, within seconds of getting there, I've always been this way. It's also why perfect strangers will walk up to me in a grocery store and start telling me their life and end up crying with me. Yep. Happens all the time. My husband says it constantly. Like, I can't believe that always happens to you because I'm too emotional. That's okay though, because that's what works. That's who I am. And I finally learned to embrace that, or I am learning to embrace that. So when we put those labels, those two labels on people, we damage them. And I really feel like religion does that a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And it builds these expectations. I can't tell you how many years I tried to live like the, the meek, mild Christian woman that everybody, you know, that I saw around me, that that was what you were supposed to be. And I can't do it. I'm the roll your eyes, laugh out loud, throw a little hissy fit about wrong you know, that, and I, I that's who I should be. Mm -hmm. so. Well, and I actually got a comment from someone, um, on this and, and cause you're, you're hitting a lot of things people identify with, but that churches often, um, can't handle people who want to share their feelings. Um, they always say that they're too much. Uh, that's a normal approach yeah. to the church vision. Yes. And why is that a normal approach? Like that needs to be different. Well, you're going to start me down another road, but no. the problem is that we have far too many people that have the term pastor in front of their name as yeah. a vocation, but they've never allowed that to be a heart issue for them. They yeah. don't have the training, the mental health training that needs to go along with that job. Agreed. And, and Agreed. that's a problem. That's very much a problem. So they don't know how to respond to it. And so they brush it off as unimportant or that there's just something you need to think about in that. Or we go back to your tried and true, like you were saying earlier. Well, have you talked to God about it? Do you have anything in your life that shouldn't be there? 
Mm-hmm. And really, that's nothing more than a projection of their inability to handle the situation, more so than it is your problem. Yeah. Just is. We have two minutes left, but I don't oh want I don't want to stop. Here, are you, uh, this is good. You guys can keep going. Omar, Omar this is uh, this is good. Um, but let we, let's do wrap up. Are there any questions, Omar? Anything from from Facebook Live? Yeah, there's a lot of really good comments and questions. Yeah, let's and, go over I mean, that. If you guys want to keep going, I'm not going to stop you. Okay. Because <laughs> so, um, I mean, I'd hate I'd hate to you know, you guys are got that drama empowerment going on right now and i'm i'm you know a little bit just you know i don't want to say the wrong thing well um, bring up christopher cody's bring up christopher's comment because he's uh, that needs to be that needs to be tossed out that'd be one of them but let's see yeah there's some really good stuff that was said um this is great you got a lot of interactions here uh kirsten uh she's another uh, student, she was also uh, you know on staff of this a, a little bit at Masters Commission. Uh, that cult life, uh, she's like, yeah, only sharing what you think uh, they want you to. Uh, they- oh wait, I accidentally. One second, Omar, I cut you off on accident. Come back. He's still muted. Yeah, I. I oh my gosh, I apologize. What what's Sorry. going what's going on? Take here that again. Are you going to be you a panelist on Facebook Live next? <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> asshole. You know, hey, that's, I hate when people call me an asshole. Okay. Any, anyway. Oh. Uh, so, <laughs> Kirsten, she said, uh, yeah, only sharing what they think uh, you should be. So, she, she was identifying with that whole like shutting mm-hmm. down to uh, Chad Johnson, you know, me too. They, uh, loud as far as he's being called loud daily. Um, Omar Williams is like Seth drama. Um, <laughs> it's Chad's. I'm one of the calmest people I know. Uh, okay, so this is the comment you wanted to comment on, Christopher Cody Grace. I don't know if you know who he is. He said, "Eh, you can be as dramatic as you want to be, but you only push non-drama people away." Well, and that's a really good point. Michelle, what do you have to say about that? Yeah, you can be as serious as you want, but you only push away the dramatic people. No, that's a good None point. of those are reasons why that's we shouldn't true. be who we are. Mm-hmm. We can monitor our interaction with one another. If I become too much for somebody, leave the room. You're not yeah. gonna hurt my feelings. This is true. Right. And that's the whole idea. You know, it kind of comes down to um you know, if if I'm too dramatic for you, maybe <laughs> Maybe you need no, a different friend. No, no, um, you can just yeah. do small doses <laughs> like, or take maybe. breaks. It's oh, not a, that's a oh, pretty right. dramatic if, move to have to get a different friend, Seth. <laughs> well, what if we? What if we instead? That's my mo. But what if we instead used all that grace and mercy that we talk about in religion so much and decided to give on. one another grace and mercy? What if we said, "Wow, you're pretty dramatic today," mm-hmm. but you know what? I love you, so I'm going to give you your moment, and then I'm going to calmly answer you. What if we're each allowed to be who we are and we love one another anyway? Mm-hmm. Instead of trying to push everybody Pass to be the, the way we are. Plan. God damn, I say this all the time. I say this all the time to my husband. He'll, you know, he'll make a comment about something, and I'll say, "I know I'm a lot, but you would be so bored if I was different." And I know for a fact he would be. I challenge him every day. Mm-hmm. And he challenges me. I don't want somebody that's just like me. How fucking boring would that be? 
I don't need a bunch of me's walking. Well, uh, actually, I do need a bunch of me's walking around. I get shit done. So, <laughs> all right, one one last person I'd be amiss to to point out, uh, Melody Chad's wife. You know who? So you know she puts up with a lot. High tolerance. Um, she, <laughs> she's uh, she's you know really really relating with you, Michelle. She, um, she said it's all about how you interpret it. Uh, uh, not drama. Mm-hmm. Emotional people. Uh, there's a difference. Um, right. And uh, so, uh, and then, yep. So girl, she's, she, she, she made a lot of comments here. Uh, <laughs> girl, it's girl Chad, and I can relate. I think she, I think she, uh, mm. uh, oh, good. I'm glad I, I'm glad I, I'm relatable I, I, to somebody I anyway. I'm not my own little person. Girl, so. which I, I like that as well. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what she meant. <laughs> and, and then Jessica, friend well, of my mother's and mine. Also, she's going to be around today. Hi, Jessica. Uh, clap, clap, bravo. And uh, she said, yeah, non-drama people are way too boring. So, okay. Thanks, Michelle. Yeah, we all have preferences. Yeah. yeah. So this has, been, um, this has been a really good conversation. And I wanted to tie both, both the mental health and the religious aspect. Because I yeah. think we, we can't divide them. Um, no, I agree. Absolutely not. I, I'm really happy. And I'm not just patting myself on the back, but that like with fade to gray, with the fade to gray network, we have a diverse options, you know? So we're going to talk about that religion, but I also want to unpack the mental health. And so, mm-hmm. um, thank you so much for checking out today's, uh, conference session with Michelle, Michelle, you have big stuff happening. So I, I want you to, <laughs> I want you to talk about that a little bit and give yourself a little crud so people can look you up. Where can people find you? Uh, well, I live and breathe on Facebook. I mean, that's been that way for years. <laughs> uh, everything I say or do on Facebook is public, so I don't hide any shit. Um, uh, you're, but I will warn you, if you find me on Facebook, not only do you get the psychological and theological bull crap, you also get my bodybuilding crap. So you have to put up with that. Wait, I, do a lot of, wait, wait. I get a lot of negative shit over that, too. We so. got we to gotta talk about this for a second. Because oh, for goodness sakes. Well, because, Michelle, because of my late access, you know, and I gave you the wrong time, like I didn't mm. press you, but you haven't been on video, so they don't <laughs> they don't know what you look like. Uh, uh, you do bodybuilding? Well, yeah, I have for years, but yeah, recently again in the last three years. What um, does that mean exactly for the layman? Uh, for the layman, yeah. I lift weights and try and get big muscles. <laughs> and like, do you? So okay, yeah, I got that part. What I mean is, like, are you competing? Like, like what I will kind be, of? Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's the, the goal is I was. Yeah, the goal was I was supposed to compete. Um, well, I was supposed to compete last year, but I was training for the bikini division. And you'll have to go look up some of the poses that they do. I was a little uncomfortable with it, uh, but mostly <laughs> because I'm 54 years old. Um, so <laughs> I like nobody wants to see that. But anyway, <laughs> uh, I switched. I'm, I'm more of a muscle girl, and bikini division doesn't have enough muscle. So I've taken the time to put on more muscle. So I was supposed to be competing at the end of this year. Um, but of course, this year is, you know, screwed all to hell. So I don't know right. what's going to happen. Right. Uh, and right now I'm working out in my garage so I can't get my big lifts in. So the muscle is not coming on as much as I want, but um, yeah, I'm going to be competing and, and I, I need to do something this year. I've got a coach and I told her, I said, I'm afraid I'm never going to get on the stage. And she's like, I'm not going to let that happen. You're getting on the stage. So <laughs> we'll see. Well, hopefully. Yeah. And uh, so keep going. What else do we have to wrap? Just oh, okay. Um, so I have my podcast. Uh-huh. Um, it's called Bookish. The Canon Continues. Um, 
kind of got more of an NPR feel to it. Uh, I actually have different people come on and co-host with me. The The hook on it is they choose a book that they want to talk about. I have to read it, mm-hmm. um, which has been great. I've been exposed to a lot of books that I probably wouldn't have picked up on my own. Uh, but I also have episodes where it's just me. I get to choose a book. <laughs> That's awesome. And you're supposed to be coming on soon. So I am. Um, you have a book. We have a book we're doing that we're reading together. So that'll be cool. I'm very excited. I know. I'm looking forward to it. And um, I just finished writing my book. I hope it's going to be out later this year. It's The publisher has it right now. He very enthusiastically told me the other day that it absolutely has his acceptance, but he hadn't read it yet. So I said, dude, no, you can go read it first because, again, I was convinced he's going to hate it. <laughs> Well, I, so, I think he knows you pretty well by now. He does so, know me, yeah. So. Um, he's the one that he's the one that asked me to do the podcast. That's a Choir Publications podcast, and so he's the one that actually asked me to do that. Oh, so wow. he is very familiar with me. Okay. Um, I'm writing another book with another friend of mine, Matthew Distefano. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have three or four more book ideas in my head that I actually have outlines written down for. So hopefully, I'm going to be doing that soon mm-hmm. um, because I've been told that once you write the first book, they come easier after that. I don't know if that's going to be yeah, true. Yeah, I've heard so that. We'll see. I've heard Thank that. You. Said. What's the book that's going to come out called? Or does it have a name yet? Oh, you're going to like this. So tentatively, uh-huh. I don't have a, a it's not right. for sure yet. It's called Into the Gray. Oh. Uh, and they'll have a subtitle on it, but it's Into the Gray because I, I really wanted to, because of that lack of certainty where you lose that sense of certainty in this kind of process, mm-hmm. um, I, it's not black or white. So Into the Gray made sense to me, but then Gray Matter for the psychological and all that. I thought it was a cute little hook. So we'll see. I don't know about the subtitle yet, so I, ha- well, I need some help with that. But <laughs> and what is the book about? Uh, well, originally it was my thesis idea, and then I wrote about it anecdotally. So I'll give you the thesis title, The Emotional and Psychological Effect of the Deconstructive Process and Its Application to the Grief Cycle. So 15 people just fell asleep, as I said that, but it's actually written from a very anecdotal perspective. And pretty snarky, by the way, because I'm a pretty shitty, sarcastic person. So I don't think that anyone fell asleep. Uh, <laughs> I think it's absolutely fascinating. Well, I want to thank you so much uh, for coming absolutely. on uh, today, especially <laughs> given the fact that you had to. I was two hours <laughs> off, um, and you came in. Happy to see my living room. My son was sitting there, and I I picked up my phone to read, and I go, "Oh shit!" <laughs> yeah, well, it's Seth's fault. Uh, so you know you can. Uh, you can talk about that on the, our recent no, upcoming no. episode. Uh, no big deal. But I really appreciated this. I think that this conversation has been very helpful for a lot of people. Um, so so uh, I'm going to get some links from you uh, to refer people okay. to, but please check out her podcast, Bookish. Uh, the Canon Continues and be looking out for a book um, that should be coming out hopefully sometime this year. And with yep, that, we'll, uh, we'll jump off alive. Thank you so much, Michelle. Right. Thanks, Seth. This is the Recast. Parents go and they release the hellions with no manners, respect, or anything else onto this park. Welcome to the Reefcast. We're talking about being naked. <laughs> Thing in the Bible, who always gets the shaft is the right. person following the leader. So for all you parents out there, it doesn't matter how you raise your kids, <laughs> they might just end up the opposite of what you taught them. Well, Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, and iHeartRadio.